So I don't echo it. I apologize again for the recording, but whatever. Okay, where are we? Parshas Vayera. Okay. Starts at. In what part? Emotionally? Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. Like these, these voracious parishes have so much information. Like I'm like, how do we like summarize what happens in this parsha? And then, and then it's like, we don't have time to discuss a lot of things. So this is what I decided we're going to do today. <laughs> I'm going to tell you all the things that talked about the parsha, and then we're going to decide what we want to talk about. Okay. It's a lot of stuff going on. We have uh, to loosely group it because there's a conversation if it's a group or it's not a group. We have Hashem appearing to Avram after he has the circumcision, the angels coming to visit, uh, the conversation of the destruction, well, the announcement of Sarah having a baby, the conversation of the destruction of Sodom, the, the fight or the argument that Avram has with Hashem about Sodom, the whole Sodom story takes like two aliyahs. Um, and then we have uh, some more load stuff going on there nice uh, stuff going on with Lot. And then we have Avraham going, Avraham and Sarah going to Gerar, which is about like modern day Gaza area. And Avimelech takes Sarah. And then we have the birth of Yitzchak. And then we have Hagar and Yitzchak getting kicked out of the house, you know. And then we have the Akeda. We have a lot of stuff happening in this Parsha. There's like a lot of stuff going on. And I'm like, <sighs> You know, I find like very often certain major things like the Akeda, we aren't going to actually end up discussing. So I feel like Akeda, I think you did with Mrs. Hendel uh, before, before, before Rosh Hashanah. So I'm more, a little bit more comfortable not really getting into that whole thing, even though like, how do you do Vayera and you don't talk about the Akeda? But I don't think we're going to talk about that. Okay. We have a lot of stuff going on over here. Um, uh, so where are we starting? Anybody have anything particular, you know, in particular, a particular interest to them, or we'll just start where I want to start. Because I'm going to start at the beginning, and we'll see how far we go. Are you interested in abduction? Well, wasn't it wasn't really an abduction? It was, but it was, yeah, it was very similar to like the Paro story. But it's it's going to be more relevant a little bit later because 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 Yitzchak is going to be born right after that. So we're going to get back to that in a second. You know what? I'm going to mention something about it. No. It becomes, it, it's, we're going to talk about it afterwards because there's something that I want to talk about that connected to that. Connected to that whatever. We're going to get back to it. Anybody else have anything particular that they want to get into? Angels, visions, hospitality, blah, blah, blah. We got all of it here. <laughs> like we have everything around it. You know what? We're going to start at the beginning. Okay. First of all, there's a very famous Hasidic story that I think when the, I think it was the, Somebody went and came crying to his father or his grandfather, and he said, "How come God uh, God appears to Abraham and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't appear to me?" Um, and instead of laughing it off, he gets an answer, right? Instead of saying, "You know, <laughs> you know, you're, you're a little boy, you're three, four, five years old, and you know, you're aiming big." So the answer that he was given was that when there's a Yid who's a Tzaddik, who's 99 years old and decides to circumcise himself, that person is worthy of having Hashem appear to them. And in, they talk about this a lot. And as you know, people who dissect Hasidic stories and how they discuss it and what does it mean, you know, what is our perfect number? We have seven. Seven is part, part, part of our per perfect number. Seven is our emotional. Seven is our emotional character traits. Add our intellectual traits. How many, how many intellectual traits do we have? Three. Three. So 10 is our perfect number. And when you work each of those with each other, you end up with 10 times 10. Like when you talk about spheres, for example. Mm -hmm. But emotional, we talk about our emotional, um, spiritual makeup and our intellectual spiritual makeup. So it's not all, it's, well, it's, it is reflective of the spheres, but I'm also talking about within a person, right? Yeah, yeah, no. They're based off the spheres. They're based, yeah. That same idea is based off the spheres. So we know 
that, um, for example, in the time period from, this might not, I don't know if I'm making sense in English yet, but give me a second. In the time period from Pesach until Shavuot, we work on our emotional, our, on all the permutations of our emotional midot, right? So we have seven midot times seven permutations. We end up with 49. What happens if you have 10 and 10 are permu- 10 permutations of that? You have 100, right? So we have Abraham, who's not just check on the on the passport. He's 99 years old, but he's somebody who's like, he's 99 out of 100. He's, he's perfected himself on such a deep level and still doesn't say, you know, I'm Sababa. Like, I'm okay. I could like, I could coast a little bit. Hashem says, there is one more thing to take you to perfection. He's like, I'm in. What do I have to do? So so the, so the one of the things that the story, you know, in the answer that was given in the story is like, we all are tasked with doing our best. And sometimes our best is, you know, we're not at 99. But whatever our best is, the question is, can we push it a little bit? Do we hit the point that we say, you know, this is my comfort zone. This is kind of where like, I really feel like I put it together and things are good and I'm, I'm doing good stuff, but like, let's leave, not everything has to be taken care of. Not everything has to be refined. Not everything has to be brought in to, you know, my, my service of God. And one of the things we're hearing is like, no, 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 you could be 99. You're just not a hundred and still you're open to the place of growth. That's an incredible thing. That's, that's one thing that we, that, that we like when the rabbits spoke about the story and different, they talk about Hasidic stories often and they dissect Hasidic stories and what we learn from them. But the other thing is we should all want to be able to see God. The, 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 the desire to say, why doesn't this happen to me? Why don't I have revelation? Why don't I, you know, why doesn't this happen to me? Is not just, oh, you know, you're too, you know, it doesn't happen. It really, you know, it's something that it's that that wanting to be close to God is something that all of us can can think about, can work on, and can try to develop that type of wanting to come close to Tashem. That was a very famous by way of introduction to the whole Parsha kind of story. So, because uh, Adam has a circumcision at 99. He doesn't say, you know, I'm really, I'm almost perfect. I'm like really quite fine. I don't need to hit the next level. Hashem's like, this will take you to 100. And that's what Adam, and Adam goes ahead with it. So going through that, also remember like, then, then let's, let's put that together with actually being 99 years old and circumcising yourself and what that takes from uh, out of a person, even if you're Adam Avinu, that's still like, that's quite brave and worthy of, of attention. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I want to start with. The other thing I want to talk about a little bit is the first three, four things that happen in the Torah, in this Parsha, and how do we look at them? Do we look at them as a bunch of isolated events? Do we look at them as one thread? And of course, in good Jewish tradition, we don't have any one answer. We have versions of the answer. But basically what's going to happen, we have Hashem appears to, Hash, to, to Avram in the, in the fields of Mamre, right? If you look in the first, in Parakut Ches Pasuk Aleph, he's sitting at the, gate, at, the te, at the door of his tent at the heat of the day. Rashi says, why is he sitting, why does Hashem appear to him in a lone Mamre? And because Mamre gave him the suggestion to, uh, to have the circumcision. So the Hasidic Rebbe's wanted to like, really? Hashem's like, have a circumcision. And he's going to ask his, his friend, like, do you think this is a good idea? Should I go ahead with this? Should I not go ahead with this? Like, what do you think? Like, what is, what was, what was the thought process? Meaning Mamre is getting a, a reward for giving good advice to Avraham, which is very nice. The revelation is ha- happening in your property. Fantastic. But the question that, that they want to know about Avram, like, really? So, so some of the Hasidic, uh, in the Hasidic, uh, where I was looking, he says he asked his three very good friends, Enar, Eshkel, and Mamre. Two of them said, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. Don't do this. this is, you're going to have major surgery with no anesthesia at 99 years old. Don't do this. And, and Mamre says, go ahead, you should do this. So they say that, he, that there's, a, there's a principle in mitzvahs that we make mitzvahs beautiful and great and bigger. So Avram was always planning on 
listening to Hashem. That was the question wasn't, is he going to listen to Hashem? The question was, how do I make the mitzvah greater? And if I get more people involved in the conversation, then when it happens, the mitzvah becomes more. It becomes like more of a statement, more of a thing. So it wasn't that Avram was saying, should I? I'm not sure. I'm hesitating. Like he always was going to do the mitzvah. He just was expanding who gets affected by it. And here, his friend Mamre, who says, yes, go ahead and have this, ends up having revelation happen in his own space. So the first thing, now that's one thing. Now the other thing that happens is nothing. Hashem appears to Avram and then nothing happens. He doesn't say anything to him. He doesn't do anything. Like we don't, that's the first thing. That's one. Pasuk Aleph's Hashem's there and nothing happens. He does. We don't hear anything further going on. Then we have that Avram lifts up, lifts up his eyes. He sees these three people um, and he goes to greet them and he bows them and he, he's going into the whole thing. Come, my guest, blah, 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 blah. We have the whole situation of Avram greeting his guests, which is very, very amazing and very beautiful. And it's very, it's an interesting thing. Which, okay, I'm going to finish one thought and I'm going to come back to the thought. Where's Hashem this whole time? Because we're going to have a bunch of verses of Avram talking to the, to the, you know, feeding his guests and them giving the news that Sarah's going to have a child, right? And um, that goes on for a bunch of verses and the food that he prepares is going to be very time consuming, right? We talk about he goes and he, ca- he takes animals and he slaughters animals and he prepares meat and he gives them bread and he gives them, it's like a lot of time goes on. And then these people leave, okay? And then he starts having conversations. Then Hashem is there and he's having a conversation about Sodom with him. Where was Hashem this whole time? I mean, okay. Hashem is all those big words. He's omnipotent and omniscient. And I don't even know what that means, but he's like big and all over the place, right? Hashem's not going any place. Like even if, but we're, what ha- is this all meaning? Does Hashem come, leave, come back? Like what's the whole situation? So there's obviously a difference of opinion about what's happening. One of the things that we learned that Rashi brings, brings from the Gemara, is that from here we learn that it's greater to have guests than to even welcome the Shekhinah, even to, even to have a conversation with Hashem. It's almost like um, Hashem saying, like, if you have an opportunity to talk to me or be like me, you should be like me. Right? Hashem feeds the hungry, takes care of, you know, Hashem is giving and kind and everything. So better you should do what I want to do instead of, instead of uh, just talking to me. It's, there is, there's obviously two schools of thought. One is that this Hashem coming to Avram is sort of like the high, the, the Koter, it's like the, the title of this chapter. And this is all happening under the, the place of Hashem coming to Avram. And, um, and then there's other people that say that, that, and Rashi brings the different opinion that Hashem comes and he comes to visit him and he heals him because it's the third day after his circumcision and he's in pain. So that's, Rashi says, like, that's what happens. Like, Hashem came and he visited with Avram and he continues the healing with him. Um, but if, you, but if you, you, you follow this thread for a second, let's say, you know, go, going with, the, with, the, with the, the school of thought that this is one story, that Hashem is there and Avram's like, Rega, let me go deal with my guests. Let me go take care of them. And then when the people, when the, well, the angels are going to then continue on to Sodom, then, um, uh, then Avram and Hashem are going to pick up the conversation. So is it perhaps that Hashem came originally to have this conversation with him about Sodom or is like Rashi brings it, he came, Hashem came to visit him. And then we're going to learn how great it is to have guests and all this kind of stuff is happening. Um, Jury's out. There's no one answer to the question. These are just different th- ways of looking at the situation. Uh, either way, Hashem isn't, it seems to be that this is all happening in a very short time span, time, time span, thank you. Um, it's happening in short amounts of time. Uh, he's Even if he's going to ha- have these guests, these angels with him for a few hours, he's not having them for days and days and days. Um, and 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 let's talk about Avram for a second. So I want to say three things in, in this particular case about Avram. First of all, the Medrash tells us that um, when Avraham went to take the animals to slaughter them, to prepare them for his guests, one of the animals ran away and Avram went to chase the animal. And the Medrash tells us that he followed the animal all the way into a cave. 
And when he got to the cave, he smelled the entrance to the Garden of Eden. And Avram was like, I want to stay. This is awesome. That's my words. Those are probably not Avram's <laughs> words, right? <laughs> right? Like, oh my gosh, this is a, this like, right? And he hears a voice that says that this is your place, but this is not your time. And in next week's Parsha, when it comes time for Abraham to buy a burial place for Sarah, which is not going to happen for another 38 years, because in a year, Yitzchak's going to be born. The Akedah happens when he's 37 years old, and then Sarah's going to pass away. He knows exactly where he wants to go. He knows exactly, he's not like, oh, where should we bury Sarah? Could be any place. He knows exactly where he wants to go, because when the angels came to visit him, the, the, the animal that he chased actually led him to this cave so he knew exactly which cave he wanted to purchase for, for as a place to bury Sarah in. So that was kind of, I thought that was like quite an incredible, amazing thing. And, um, you know, I thought that was cool. So that was one thing that I wanted to say. Second thing I want to say about Avram is, um, is, is uh, it talks about over here that he has the people come and then he gives the animals to his nar. He's running around, he's, he's three days after circumcision, he's 99 years old. Even if he wasn't three days after major surgery, he's still 99 years old. Now add that, he's running all over and he's taking care of his guests and he's doing his blah, 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 blah. Circumcision without anesthesia when you're 99 years old is gonna be maybe not major surgery, but let's call it surgery. Self-surgery. For sure. For sure. Not major surgery, correct. I stand corrected. It's not major surgery. No, I, no, I'm not saying that to minimize it. It's obviously like a crazy thing, but that, that's like, when I think major surgery, I think of like- Open heart surgery. Yeah. Right, correct. So let's put it into proportion. <laughs> this is before we have any of the, the modern medicine and whatever. Um, correct, they didn't use surgery. Exactly, correct. Exactly, where it's, what's that, an, an anachronism? Putting a, a, a time, mixing up time things. He went through something- extremely painful you know they 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 say in, in parenting books like if adults had to cut teeth they would like go out of their go out of their minds you know what like babies when you get your teeth yeah. that's called cutting teeth the 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 yeah, act of of teeth coming through oh. babies we say oh they're teething they're teething they're catchy they're catchy they're like if an adult had to actually do that no that's it's already there. It's coming through the space. But if you had to actually like molars, when, when your 18 year molars come in and you know, those, those are much more painful, but they're not this. No, I can't remember the pain. Okay. So they, they, they say in parenting books that if adults had to add their exact, I guess in the conversation, was it in the conversation of, in the conversation of having more patience for your children who are only teething. They're like, if you had to do that as an adult, it would be, it, you would not be as, you would be way more catchy than your average child. There are certain things that when you have it as a child, as painful as it is, going through that experience as an adult is way more painful. Right, it's just it's harder to heal. So. Not just, not only just because it's way more, not only because it's harder to heal, there are certain things that the, you get, you get um, chicken pox as well. I don't know who's getting chicken pox, but I'm saying if you were to get chicken pox as a child, I've had a bunch of kids who had chicken pox. It's like versions of itchiness that goes. You have a, you have chicken pox as an adult. You could literally die from it. Like the effect of it on you on your adult system is just much harder than on a baby system. Same thing's gonna happen for circumcision. A 99 year old having a circumcision a circumcision. Say that five times quickly. I can. Um, it, the just the whole stress on the body is so much more than on a baby. So that's why I refer to it as something major and not just your point is well taken that surgery is not the right word, but it was a major procedure that he did on himself. And now all of a sudden he is running and going and doing and being. And then it tells us that he gives, um, where is it? He gives it to the, he gives it to the lad. It says, gives it uh, in in verse seven, so he he's running to the animals and he's taking the animals and he gives it to the to the lad and 
and so Rashi says this is to Yishmael. Yishmael at this point is 13 years old. He's also recovering from circumcision. Remember, Avram and Yishmael have circumc- are circumcised at the same time. And he's and and as a, as an educational mode, he's he's getting him involved in his in his He's not just saying, "Oh, I can do this by myself." It's just so much easier to just do it by myself and not get anybody involved. But as part of Yishmael's education, he is being he's being he's he's Avram's son. Part of education is we're having guests, and this is how we treat guests, and we move and we do and we we do our part. So that's I I thought like. Just an interesting thing when you talk about Stam as a, as a, you know, for, for a life thing, as far as where we go with, uh, you know, as a parenting thing, there are a lot of things that are easier to do on your own. They just, they just are, but there are sometimes that for education, uh, you need to include, you need to include your children. First of all, for education, you need to include your children and also if we're only ever expedient, then children never learn the things that we want them to learn. We think that they're going to learn it just by osmosis and some things it will work and for a lot of things it will not work. The more they are involved in process, the more they will also know. And and here's one of the things where Avram's Avram's teaching us, involve the children, involve your family. Um, It's it's going to be a family affair to, to, you know, if this is what we want to be doing, then this is a way to we need to we need to have the children. We need to, he needs to have his children involved. They need to know the value that this is something that's important and that we do. Um, and we know that they they give the they give the the instruction, not the instruction. They give the announcement, pronouncement that Sarah is going to have a child, um, and and she's a little bit disbelieving of this. Um, and it's interesting. And it's interesting. We know that last week Hashem tells Avraham that this is going to happen. Right before the circumcision, remember Hashem told Avraham that you're going to have a child, and and so the sages want to know, like, why didn't he tell Sarah? Like, wouldn't wouldn't you get if you get some amazing news? Wouldn't the first thing you do is go and run and tell your spouse? Oh my gosh, did you hear this amazing news? Could you believe this? So so the, I saw three different answers. One is. Um, it, the timing just didn't actually really work out because he got this news right before he actually did the circumcision. And this is happening a few days later and he was in pain. So it wasn't exactly the most opportune time. But the other thing which sort of sits with me a little bit better, not that it's up to what sits with me, but because they're all, you know, versions of Torah, um, it's going to cause this little bit of time to, we know from, we know from when they went down to Egypt that Sarah is a bigger prophet than Abraham. She is more connected to Hashem. And Avram says, if Hashem wants her to know, and she, he knows she's a bigger prophet than he is, then he'll tell her. If he isn't telling her, then there's a reason that he isn't telling her. And it's not my job to give over information that, is, that was given to me. Unless you're, and here's a life lesson. Unless you're told, when somebody gives you information, unless you're told, yes, you can share this information, you can't. You can't share the information unless you're actually told Now you say, well, this affects both of them. And how could you just say that? But there is a, a back end a little bit to this, I think, as far as what do we, what can we look at it and what can we learn? So there is this place that he wasn't given permission to share the news and, have, and, and she's going to, she's a prophet. It's not like, it's not like she has no communication with Hashem. Hashem will tell her when he's ready to tell her. And then he will be there, you know, he'll be able to share with it. He'll be able to be supportive of her. But the fact of her being a higher prophet, first of all, he doesn't know that she doesn't know. How would he know that she doesn't know? Just like Hashem told him, maybe Hashem told her. So it's like all of these parts are the moving parts of this conversation. I think it's, I think it's just interesting. It's, it's also interesting parts. And the question is like for a relationship dynamic, how do you, how do you run with that? So that was my, my two takeaways from that. You look like you have a question, comment? No. Okay. A little disturbed. Maybe not totally prepared. Oh, no. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'm Fine. The So we have that. We have this situation, and now the angels start to go. Start to. Uh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. 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 
I was like in the middle of the second grade. What about the education, helping, yeah. having the children to help? Right, that was the second thing. She said, I said, I want to say three things about Avraham. One was about the education. One was about uh, the having the, the oh, about the caver, yeah. Uh, what was the third thing I wanted? Oh, this is my, and this is my third thing I want to say about Avraham. Um, the third thing I want to say about Avraham is that uh, the angels are going to, they're going to get, the, they give the news and they're moving on and they're going on to the next thing. Now, when Avram sees him in the beginning, he doesn't know that they're people. So Baba, we're gonna we're not getting into all the details of everything because we're not gonna have any time for anything. And I want to get to to Sarah's to Sarah's point. Um, Avram has a very 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 long for Torah conversation with Hashem about the people of Sodom, and he goes to bat for them and he fights for them, and he's like he uses very 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 strong language uh, about, about about Hashem. I want to I want to look into it for a second. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, Hashem says to himself, "It's in chapter eighteen. The people leave, and in verse seventeen, Hashem says to himself, "Am I not going to tell Avraham what I am about to do? Right? Am I not going to tell Avraham?" And he says, he's Hashem continuing this conversation, says that Avram is going to be a great nation and everybody's going to be blessed through him. And what is the most amazing thing when Hashem says, what is the most amazing quality that, Hashem, that Avraham has in Pasuk Kites in verse 19? Because I know that he will instruct his children and his household. He will teach his children to do kindness and to do justice. How dare I not tell Avram what I'm about to do? I'm about to destroy, first of all, this is his property. This is land that was promised to, Hash, to, to Avraham, right? Sodom and Moab. This is part of his property. So Kilu, these people are under his, you know, influence or whatever. And Hashem says, what is the most amazing thing about Avram? That he is going to teach his children and his family after him to do to do tzedakah mishpat, to do tzedakah mishpat, to do justice and righteousness. I want to pause for a second here. I'm going to get back to this, but I want to pause for a second. And I think that it's very, if we go with the 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 stream of thought that says that Hashem is on the side the whole time this encounter with Avram and the angels is happening because that's one of those one of the schools of thought that it's one long thread that Hashem kind of like I don't know what he did right he sat on the couch and checked his wife I have no idea what Hashem did Hashem was like stopping the conversation and Avram's going about doing his thing I think that we run the risk, and I think it's important to highlight the fact that our kindness and our justice also happens when Hashem is with us. It's sometimes easy to say, I'm busy doing justice and righteousness, and like the, the, you get a pass on a lot of things when you're busy doing something. This is this is my this is my this is my my uh, soapbox. You can take it or leave it. You do not have to accept this. This is this is uh, my take on on the situation. So this is when I give you straight tire, then I tell you when it's straight tire. When it's my opinion, it's this is my opinion. So you don't have to you don't have to take it. We see it also similar with the with the with the tablets. Ten commandments come on two tablets. One has interpersonal, and one is really man and God. I don't know what one word for that would be. What's the equivalent of Right, interpersonal. We know what's the other one nice word. There, whatever, whatever. Man and God, right? And I find that in life, you find people who hold onto one of the tablets and they disregard the other one a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and really, it comes together. So I want to use that same thought process over here. That the fact that I, that Avraham commands his children to do tzedek u'mishpat, to do righteousness and justice, is happening at the same time that Hashem is there. He's in a very real, deep relationship with Hashem. It's not coming at the expense of what he wants to do or what he should be doing in his relationship with Hashem. And at the same time, his relationship with Hashem doesn't stop him from worrying about 
real terrible people. The people of Sodom are, are terrible, terrible people. And we're going to get to that in a second. Because when, you know, one of the things that we have to talk about Avram and his tests, he's, he's asked to go against his personal nature over and over and over and over. And, and, and Avraham, so we're going to get to that in a second. I'm just trying to like totally not mess everything up because it's, it's almost clear in my head. So I want to make a plug for understanding that our social justice and our service of Hashem actually have to go hand in hand. They can't be, they can't be, I only do, I only daven and learn, or I only do social justice. I have to really put both of those pieces together. Back to Avram. What do we know Avram brings to the world? He brings to the world three major things, okay? He brings, he reintroduces monotheism in a big way. Meaning you have shame and Avery, you have people who are monotheists all along, but Avram is the one who's like up on his bandwagon and telling everybody about this and we need to do this and we need to serve only one God. So he brings the belief in one God back into the world. He brings the idea of education back into the world or into the world of, of I know he's going to teach his children to this, not going to be just like, it's going to be his thing. And when he's gone, it's gone. And the other thing that he brings is the idea of, of kindness, of, of extending your hand in kindness to everybody around you. And he doesn't look and he doesn't qualify. And he doesn't say, you deserve my kindness and you deserve my generosity and you deserve my hospitality. He just has open doors to everybody. Now I say he, but it's really he and Sarah. They're a team in this, right? What are the people of Sodom known for? What are the for not, for not, for institutionalized selfishness and narcissism. They, 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 the Medrash has stories about Sodom. It would make your hair curl. Well, I would love to have some curl here, but I don't, right? It, it's, it, they had every single person in Sodom had their own minted coins and they would give, somebody would come in, they would give them, and then nobody would let them buy anything with that coin. And the person would die because they had money, but they couldn't do anything with it. And then the person whose money it was would come back and take it back. Like, it's crazy. And, and when Hashem says, I am going to destroy these people, Avraham, the paradigm of kindness and loving kindness and hospitality and, and generosity and and everything that falls in there, he's going to go and he's going to plead for them. That's, that's like another level. That's like being able to say, he goes and he fights, he gets involved in a war with the four kings and the five kings last week, that he's not his nephew, who kind of is not part of the family so much as two from the family, got you know, got captured. So he's getting involved in a war. He's being asked to go against his nature so many times. And here he has two feuding issues. He has the value of trying for justice, saying, what is this justice? And he uses such language, Hashem, he says, it's like forbidden for you, Hashem, how can you, how can you, you know, kill the righteous with the, with the, with the, with, with the wicked? That's very, very strong language. I was, I was, I was, when I was, pre- I was prepping and I was sitting and I said to my daughter, listen to this language. She's like, yeah, well, if you're Avon Mavino, you get to say that to Hashem. We don't, we don't actually get to say, use a strong language with Hashem. Um, and and uh, and 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 so he goes and he really goes to he goes to he goes to bat with very strong language and he looks we know it looks like he's arguing with himself he says what if there's fifty people because really Sodom is a conglomerate of five different cities so are there ten per city are there nine plus Hashem he keeps going down until he gets to ten when he goes down to ten can I find ten righteous people then uh, once he realizes that we we don't even have ten there then he's going to he stops, he stops fighting for it. What was very interesting, and some of the commentaries talk about the Kutzke talks about this a little bit, that um, Hashem says, I'm going to come down, I'm going to see what's happening. And the question is, how does Hashem come down and see if the people of Sodom are worthy of destruction or not? And so he says that by, he says that there's, there's different types of people who do bad. There are people who are just bad people, you know, and they, they, they're just bad. And then you have people who are essentially good people, but they're weak, like most of us. We we have our moments of shining glory, and we have the times where less so. But somebody who uh, is essentially a good person, but has kind of 
gotten swept up and whatever, uh, that goodness is that light is always there. And if it's faced with holiness, it will respond. It will, it will reach out to holiness. So Hashem said, I'm going to send these angels to Sodom. Angels, now to Avram, they look like people because Avram is who he is. When, when Lot sees them, he sees them as, as you know, he sees them as, as more special beings. The question is, what happens when angels, which are an embodiment of holiness, come to a bad place? Do people react in a positive way or in a negative way? Am I a good person who's in a bad situation? So we have here, for example, Lot, who that day was appointed as the head of the, as a judge. He's sitting at the gates of the city. He just became a judge, which means if you're the judge of a city, that means you buy into their rules and their ethics and everything, right? He's appointed as a judge. The angels come to him. Sodom has institutional laws against hospitality. And what does Lot do? Come into my house. Can I he, borrow my that's, his, that's how his wife reacts. But he says, come into my house, which means that that spark of good and holy and kind is buried, but it's there. That means he's a good person who's in a bad situation. Shine light on him and it's going to, and it's going to light him up. He's, he, even though that day he was appointed, appointed as a judge, but when he's faced with holy and he says, come to my house, let me be hospitable. Okay, he's not exactly like Abraham. He's a little more, you know, he's married, da, 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 fine. Um, but the rest of the people, they don't. And so they, they still react when they hear about this, they react in a very, 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 uh, you know, aggressive, terrible way. And then uh, we have to get the people out and we have to get Lode and his family out. Um, did I cover my third thing about Avram? Yeah, he goes yeah. to fight for the people. Okay, fine. I'm like, try to keep all my, all my thoughts in some sort of coherent fashion. Um, um, what? Hospitality. Hospitality, righteousness, yes, um, and education. Um, I want to say one thing, and then we're running out of time, so I'm going to go to, to, to the point that Sarah asked me to talk about. When Lode and his family... I want to say two things, actually. When Lot and his family are getting saved from Sodom, the angel says to them, go run to the mountains. And, uh, and Lot says, and Lot says, well, two things I want to say. First of all, we know what happens to Mrs. Lot. She turns into salt, right? The whole thing. Now, I want to just say that if, if a tour guide tells you that this is Mrs. Lot when you go near the Dead Sea, it's not true. Okay? But... Um, uh, you know, when the angel gives them the instruction, don't turn back, don't look backwards. Part of what he's saying, two things he's saying, first of all, you're not so amazing and wonderful that you, you know, when you look back at something, it's like a little bit superior feeling or a little bit like, oh, that's, you know, he's like, you're not getting out of here on your own merit. Don't look, you don't have the, the liberty of looking at that situation and saying, they got what they deserved. You're not so much further away from it. But the other thing that I saw, which I think is very, is very powerful, is that in life, there are experiences that we have. And if we keep looking behind us, we can't move forward. There are things that happen in our lives. And there are things that happen that are not great. And they're not beautiful. And maybe we didn't react in our finest, most glorious moment. And we have to do chuva for the things we have to do chuva for. I'm not saying just ignore, but there's sometimes where we let the past sit with us and follow us and follow us. And we keep looking back and we keep looking back and we keep looking back. And that's stopping us from moving forward. Because as long as we keep looking back and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. The things we have to take care of and the restitution that we have to do and whatever we need to do to like make things okay to the best of our ability, we have to do that. And then... We have to stop looking back. We have to be able to look forward and we have to be able to move forward. We have to be able to go to a place that's ahead of us and not keep looking back and saying, because that's going to be a, a, a thing that's going to keep holding us back. That's one thing I want to say. The other thing I want to say is that the angels tell Lot, go run to the mountains. And Lot's like, I can't, I can't, I can't run. I can't run to the mountains. I can't do that. Can I go to this city? And he names one of the five cities, Tsar. And he says, Rashi explains that Tsar was built a year after all the other cities. It wasn't, they had like another year of like 
messing up before they're worthy of destruction. So, uh, so that, so he Dobbins and he said, I can't run to the mountains. If I, if I run to the mountains, I'm going to really die. Wow. I think maybe physically, I think the fear, I think that a load's not young, right? If Avram's 99 years old and Sarah's, you know, Sarah's 89 years old, how old is Lot when this whole story is going down? Like, we don't really know exactly, but we know someplace in those ages, not in the 37 year old, right? He's like someplace, he's, so he's nervous about this going there. Um, and what happens? They say, okay, we'll save the city. Now, the angels, the angels get permission. Oh, that city was supposed to be destroyed. Five, all five cities were supposed to be destroyed. Okay. If you see in chapter 19, uh, over here, chapter 19, verse 19 and 20, he's like, I can't run to the mountains. Let me go to the city and I'm going it to, it'll be a, it'll be a savior for us. And the angel say, and the angel says to him that he's able to do it. And, and they go there because I can't destroy all the cities until you get there. Who was just praying for the cities of Sodom to be saved? Abraham. And what was the answer? No. No, no, we don't have it, right? Lot comes and prays for one city to be saved. And? Okay. And he gets it. And he gets it. And Which, it was like angels. Well, the angels don't do anything on their own. Remember, we were discussing it with us that angels have one mission. Correct. They came down and if they did a new mission, they had to go back. Right. So how could they change their mission? So the question is, or were they able to get permission to only destroy four, not five? That's what happens. So they end up getting permission. So the, the, the sages want to know, hello, Avram couldn't save this area. Avram Avinu and Lot, low life Lot, was able to. Not the true part of it. Great personal need great personal need when we then yeah 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 yes tefillah is 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 changing it's right i'm going to change your it's like it's the place of tefillah is to change your will it should be your will it doesn't mean that i earned this when we daven avram avinu the greatest person alive in this in this generation that we're talking about davins for sodom his feel is amazing and hashem's like no but when lot is drowning and not physically drowning but he's emotionally physical and he, he feel he knows he feels his life depends on this city being saved that level of prayer trumps avram avino and the question for us when we daven is are we davening from a place of like everything's really good. I got my health. I got my job. I got my thing, but I'm going to dive in because like, that's what we do. Or do we really understand that everything that we have comes from Hashem, that everything that we have, come, we have comes from Hashem. They tell a story. I think about the Chayza who every single day he used to, when he used to dive in, when he used to eat, he used to sit at the table and he'd say, Hashem, please give me food. And the person who worked in his house was really annoyed because he was preparing the food and he was serving the food. And what's his business? You saying, Hashem, please give me the food. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to show him. I'm, Hashem's going to give you the food because I'm not doing it. And that day, as the, I think it was the Chayza, sits down to, to his meal and he says, Hashem, please give me the food. There's a knock on the door and somebody comes in and says, we had a suit of smitzah and I wanted to share it with you. Do we feel that our existence, our, our, our financial security comes from the fact that we have a paycheck or that Hashem put us in this position that we have a job that we get a paycheck for? Our health is, we're dependent on Hashem for everything. Now, it's very hard to sustain that level. I'm going to be quite honest. You can't sustain that level of prayer when like things are good. <laughs> you know, it's really, it's really hard to feel that urgency when like things are sababa. But the question is before we dive in, can we take the time to focus and say, can I, can I put myself in a place of understanding that this is all a bracha from Hashem, my health, my sustenance, my family, my whatever, whatever our brachas are. And thank God, 
if we're honest with ourselves, we do have brachos. We have things we'd like to tweak also. That's, we're not, we're not saying our lives are perfect. That's not the point of this. But the things that we ask for, we have to understand that it's really, we really need Hashem for it. It's real. I think one of the things that I personally learned from COVID is how little we actually control and how if Hashem wants something to happen. It's going to happen. And if he doesn't, it doesn't matter what I thought or how I thought it should look or what it should look like. Um, and I, and I think like, that's one of the, the, the brachas that, you know, for me, we need the rest. I, the rest of it is like, whatever, but that place of really, really hammering home that message that Hashem is in charge. That's definitely one thing that I got over this last uh, 18 months over here. Um, and can we daven? Can we try? Can we try for some part of our davening to tap into that place that Hashem is the one who provides because because Lot succeeded where Avram Avinu didn't. And that's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy when you actually think of it in those terms, in that, in that terminology. Um, it wasn't because it was Lot, it was because he was in great need and the great need was great. The great need trumps a great tzaddik. Yes. So it was not the character of Lot or the person of Lot that was so- Correct, we're not saying that Lot is better than Avram. But we're saying that that place of understanding that you are totally dependent on Hashem for something critical trumps amazing, amazing, sweet, sweet songs of praise for Hashem. Sweet and he turned to God. Well, he was he was speaking to the angels, but yes, he was speaking to the angels. Huh? And he said, I don't know, Mr. Fraser is so weird. He said, I'm going to die if I go there. I cannot escape to the mountain. Mountain less evil attach itself to me and I die. Behold, these this city is near enough to escape there and it is small. I shall flee there. Well, he's asking, it's a question. It's a question. No, it's says, I shall flee. That's there. a translation. Oh, and then, oh. Right? Is it not he's asking a request. Can I go? Can I run there? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, 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 he's actually asking the question over there. Can I do that? So he gets permission, he doesn't do it. We we're skipping a lot of things, a lot of things in this partial we didn't get to. Um, I wanted I want to just mention what Sarah brought up, the question of them going to after uh, that uh, blah, blah, blah. the question that Avram and Sarah go to Gurar and they again say, please, Avram says to Sarah, please tell them that you are my sister. And she in fact gets taken to the to the palace. And similar what happens to Paro. They get afflicted, and Avimelech, Hashem comes to Avimelech in the dream and says, "Give her back." He's like, "I didn't know. Like, what? How could you punish me for something that I didn't know about?" Um, and and uh, and Avram and Sarah, Avram and Sarah both daven for Avimelech and his whole his whole uh, his whole household because they were given an affliction of every orifice in their body closing up, which is not cool. Um, and when they when Avram and Sarah daven for them. So their family gets the Avimelech extended palace gets healed, and and Sarah also gets healed, and she also is going to end up with. After this, she's going to get pregnant. She's going to have a baby, and the question that the people in town would say, "Oh yeah, right, that's Avram's kid." Right, Let's try to try to pull another one off of me, and and when they actually have a, a weaning party for him, they give, they have a party for him. She nurses all the all the noble women brought their children and said, oh, we forgot to bring our nursemaids, you know, and Sarah nursed all the children. So that's to prove that she actually, in fact, she in fact had had a child and it wasn't some foundling. That's a word you don't use often, but they found some kid that they found in the street and that they adopted as their own, that it was really her, it was really their own child. We had a specific question or stop about what, oh, yeah. why would he do the same thing twice? Yeah, why it, it turned out to be a really bad decision for them. I'm super again. Well, the question is, did it in fact turn out to be a bad decision? Did it turn out to be a bad decision? Yes. If nothing happened to Sarah, did it turn out to be a bad decision? Nothing about the trauma and PTSD. I'm not talking about that. Those are modern terminology. They end up. Yeah, nothing happened to Sarah. If somebody sees that Sarah went into the palace, they don't know what Right. So that's actually what happens when they have a party, they have a child. They're like, yeah, it's not, it's not yours and Avram's kids. It's yours and Avimelech's kid. And we're going to talk about that next week because Avram, because Avram and Yitzhak actually look exactly alike, which they really shouldn't. 
because they're they're if our your personality shows in your face, which what it says, they should look nothing alike. They look exactly alike. They, there is there. It was in fact it opened the door to people, the generation, to say, yeah, right. That's Avram's kid. It definitely it definitely did. But at the but the question is, is it something bad if nothing bad actually happened to her in the end? And it's just honestly. And so, nothing happened. Not, nothing honestly. Correct, correct. And so, and so this is, and well, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because what's interesting, what's interesting, and I'm going to finish this because I don't want to go into overtime, even though I am already. Um, what's interesting is that later on, when Hagar, when, when Sarah says to, to Avram to chase Hagar away, and Hashem says, listen to, Hagar, listen to Sarah, everything that Sarah tells you, you should listen to her. I want to overlay that with Hasidah saying that Avraham is the neshama, and Sarah is the goof, that Avram is the soul and Sarah is the body. And Hashem is telling a perfected soul with a perfected body, trust your body. Trust your body not to lead you astray. And what happens over here when Avram says to Sarah, there is in there's a whole conversation within Halacha. How could he say that she was, why was he not lying? What was the halachic premise for that? But the but the the place that's happening, according to Hasidus, when Sarah goes into these places and Avimel's palace is not as bad as Paro's. I mean, I'm not advocating, I'm not advocating for abduction, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying as far as Paro's palace was so much more terrible when he, when he sends Sarah out, he makes them leave the country. He doesn't trust anybody in his country to treat her well. He makes them leave and they end up staying in Gura, Avram and Sarah staying in Gura for many, many years. So it's, there's a whole different external dynamic that's going on in the country, but the place of going in and elevating and making change within a terrible situation is something that Avram trusts that Sarah is able to do just by the fact of her going in there and coming out in peace, that becomes, that becomes healing for Avimelech and for whatever the body and the soul have to be doing here in this world. We don't know enough about what it represents. I don't know enough about what it represents in spiritual sense. On the spiritual sense, what's Avimelech? What does Avimelech represent? What does Pyra represent? I don't know enough about it to speak intelligently about it. But for sure, that is going to be part of the conversation of what is Sarah affecting by going into these places, into this palace. We know we spoke about for Pyro that meant that her children would be able to go into Egypt and come back, uh, you know, having succeeded, even though it looks funny that we didn't quite succeed in Egypt, but that they end up coming out of Egypt. Um, and what did we, what is she laying the groundwork for by Abimelech? I don't know the answer to that question. I can look into it and see if I can come up with an answer for next week. I want to give us all a bracha that this week of Avram and Sarah and the birth of the first Jewish child, um, which is Yitzchak, should be the place that we personally can experience growth and birth, not as a physical please God, not this week for anybody, uh, no physical birth this week, but that place of being able to really birth our Jewish selves. You're going to be in Tzvast for Shabbos and to really soak in the energy of Tzvast. Please come back to Jerusalem. Uh, come back to Jerusalem. I'm always nervous when people go up to Tzvast, they're going to go float off. But really to be able to, to, be able to take the energy of Tzvast and pull it back down into Jerusalem and to be able to... to really I say to really to birth our Jewishness in one step further. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you. Have an amazing